This morning, God's instructions will continue as he moves to the men who will serve as priests or ministers in his tabernacle and the way they are to be dressed, which is really cool, and I'm looking forward to it. The message today is called Clothed in Righteousness. Let's pray. Lord, we love you today. God, we thank you so much for giving us this opportunity to be in your house. And Lord, you know that I have prayed throughout this week, and Lord, I ask you to speak to me, and I know that, Lord, you have, and I would ask now, Lord, that you would speak through me that the words that I shared would not be the ones that I would choose, God, but the very ones that you would give me. Uh, Lord, I pray that you will remove the human element, remove my mind, my will from this message, and I would ask, God, that you will speak through me, God, that your spirit will speak to our hearts. Lord, give us what it is that we need. We are a needy people. Have us, uh, give us ears to hear, Lord, that we might uh, receive what you have. And Lord, help us not only to be hearers of the word, but then to be doers. For it's in Jesus' name we pray and give thanks. Amen. All right, like I said, um, now last week we were focused on really the tabernacle, the structure of the tabernacle. We've talked about um, what's gone into its layout and its design, but what we're going to do now is we're going to change gears and we're going to be looking more focused upon who, gonna, who are going to occupy this. Now we're going to look at Aaron. Now at this group of people we're going to talk about, outside of Aaron, every one of these people has seen God's power from a distance, right? They've witnessed things from afar. They experienced the 10 plagues, right, as they came upon Egypt. They watched how God's power was displayed against his enemies. They've then walked upon dry ground as the parting of the Red Sea. They walked, God bless you, parting of the, of the Red Sea. They've walked upon dry ground. They've seen the provision of God as he's fulfilled them when they had needs of food or they had needs of water. They've seen that. They've been at the base of Mount Sinai, man. They have heard the, 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 the thunder and the lightning. I guess you don't hear lightning. They saw the lightning. They've heard God's voice literally speak to them directly, but it's always been from a distance. And now what's going to happen is God's going to consecrate. He's going to select certain men that are going to be drawn to him. And think about that. Here's this God that you've witnessed all this power from a distance, and now you're going to find out that maybe you're going to be not only being selected to speak to, 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 to go to the people on behalf of him, but literally go into the presence of that powerful God. That would be an intimidating thing. And so we've got to consider kind of the mindset of these men as this starts. Exodus 28, verses 1 through 14. Exodus 8, 28, 1, it says, And take thou unto thee Aaron thy brother and his sons with him from among the children of Israel. And he may minister unto me in the priest's office, even Aaron, Nadab, and Abihu. We remember them, right? Leviticus 10. We know that something had, they were the ones that uh, rebelled against God. Eleazar and Ithamar. Aaron's sons. Now, this is all only instructions. So none of this thing has actually happened. These are instructions of God to about these men and to Moses. So what is the priest's office, okay? These men will be intermediaries between God and the people, okay? It's important to understand. Now, if we want to know more about really what their specific duties are, you can go to Numbers 18, that entire chapter there is going to describe to you more specifically what it is that they're going to be doing. But Moses was of the tribe of Levi, okay? And what we're going to see is out of the tribe of Levi, then we're going to follow Aaron, his brother, and then his sons. And what we'll find is the Levitical, the Levitical uh, uh, brotherhood or those, those descendants of Levi will be where the priests will be brought from. And it starts here with Moses as he consecrates his brother. And Aaron and his sons are set apart. They're to be sanctified. Exodus 30, 30 says this, And thou shalt anoint Aaron and his sons and consecrate them that they may minister unto me in the priest's office. Notice the fact, consecrate. Consecrate means set aside. They've been set aside specifically for this purpose. They're to, to be those that are going to lead the worship. They're going to represent the people before God. 
Notice also that it says here the fact that these men are to be consecrated. They're to be selected by God. This is not a position that you could be elected to. This wasn't a position that you could aspire to and gain through energy or effort or anything else like that. This was by birthright and birthright alone. In the Old Testament, the, the priests were intended to come from the Levitical line. Numbers 3, verses 6 through 10 says this, Bring the tribe of Levi near and present them before Aaron the priest that they may minister unto me. As we'll see, Aaron is going to be a picture of Christ. We'll see that as we go further in this message. And they shall keep his charge and the charge of the whole congregation before the tabernacle of the congregation to do the service of the tabernacle. And they shall keep all the instruments of the tabernacle of the congregation, the charge of the children of Israel, to do the service of the tabernacle. And thou shalt give the Levites unto Aaron and to his sons that they wholly given unto him out of the children of Israel. And thou shalt anoint Thou shalt appoint Aaron and his sons, and they shall wait on their priest's office, and the stranger that cometh nigh shall be put to death. God says, look, these men are set aside so much so that anyone else tries to portray or step into that role of a Levi or a priest and starts to approach God or try to get into his presence, he's going to kill them. So being a member of this, of, this, of this priest's office was birthright and birthright alone, right? And now we're going to also see that there's going to be one that's going to be set aside for a very specific purpose, which is called the high priest. And we're going to see this in Aaron as the high priest. Exodus 30, verse 10 says this, And Aaron shall make an atonement upon the horns of it once in a year with the blood of the sin offering of atonement. Once in the year shall he make atonement upon it throughout your generations. It is most holy unto the Lord. So they'll be at the point in time. We've talked about the, the outer court. We talked about the, the holy place. Then we talked about the holy of holy, that most high where the Ark of the Covenant sits, right? And there would be one man that would go in there and make atonement for sin. He was a representative of the whole nation in one man. And that's going to be the role that Aaron is going to fill. So Aaron will be the only one allowed into that part where he's actually going to be in the true presence of God at the mercy seat. He went into the presence of God on behalf of the people and make that sin sacrifice. Hebrews 9, verses 6 and 7 says this, Now when these things were thus ordained, the priest went always into the first tabernacle, accomplishing the services of God. This is talking about the sons, right? But into the second went the high priest alone once every year, not without blood, which he offered for himself and for the errors of the people. He goes making a sin offering. So the priest entered the holy place, they would do the, the work on the outer part. And then what happened when it came to that crossing through the veil, that was set aside for the high priest and the high priest alone. And look what the Bible says here in 1 Peter 2.5. It says, ye also, check this out, as members of the body of Christ, 1 Peter 2.5, ye also, talking about us, as lively stones are built up a spiritual house and holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God by Jesus Christ. So our role as priests is not to take physical sacrifices, but notice here that it says spiritual sacrifices. What is a spiritual sacrifice? The Bible says, deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me. We're to deny our flesh. Our spiritual sacrifices are when we take our will, our, our, our desires, and we set them aside. We kill them for the sake of God, for the glory of God. The only way we can be reconciled to God, the only way we can be consecrated to God is by removing these things of sin that are in our lives. 1 Peter 2.9 says this, But ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, and holy nation, a peculiar people, that ye should show forth the praises of him, talking about Christ, who hath called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. So when we see the word chosen, right? There are people that will teach you that being chosen means that God selected certain people for salvation and other people not for salvation. That goes against the very will of God and the heart of God. That would mean that some were chosen for salvation, for the glory of God and others were chosen 
for destruction, that God preordained this. The God of love would not create somebody solely for the point of them being sacrificed to destruction. God loves everybody. The Bible says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, right? It's for the world that all would be saved, right? So what we find here is that's not talking about salvation. What it's actually talking about, what we're called to is the work of God, right? In fact, it means this, that those that are saved, it's not about just simply knowing that we're on our way to heaven, but understanding that your life's purpose is not about you. Your life's purpose is to serve God. God, okay? And as we look at this, we'll understand a little bit more. Ephesians 2.10 says this, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath, notice his word, before ordained that we should walk in them. Okay? I want you to notice we saw that word should back there. We should show forth the praise of him. And again, we see here the word should. Doesn't mean that you will. It means that God's intention is that we do. That doesn't mean we always do. Some of us may, man, we, we, we may... Show forth the praise of God, praise the Lord. But the next day we may not. And he's saying, look, your intention and why you're here is that you should do these things. God saved us for the intention that we serve him and not ourselves. That's the struggle we all deal with. And that's where the spiritual sacrifices come in, right? The spiritual sacrifice. If I'm serving myself, what I need to do is I need to sacrifice that self, that spiritual sacrifice, in order to pay for or, or to, to make things right with God. 1 Peter 2.10 says this, which in time past were not a people, meaning we were lost, we we're in a lost world, but are now the people of God, which had, not, which had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. Mercy, man. Mercy is to withhold punishment that is deserved, yeah. right? When your child's done something wrong and they know they should get it, and you go, you know what? I'll tell you what we're going to do. We're just going to forget this happened. <gasps> you ever seen that look on your child's face? Maybe some of y'all are not that kind of parents. I was, I'd cut them a break every once in a while. But when you cut them a break, there's just this, oh, man. That's God. That describes him. We deserve destruction. We deserve hell. But yet God holds back that through his mercy. And then grace is on top of the mercy, is then extending love to someone who doesn't deserve it. Grace. Mercy and grace. They describe God himself. So at his, as his children, we are priests that are to serve the Lord and his interests. Looking at the priestly structure, now we understand here that there's that purpose of having to have, to have that, that high priest, okay? Hebrews 4, verses 14 through 16 says this, Seeing then that we have a great high priest that is passed into the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our profession. For we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. He says, look, he went through the same human experience that you did. He was born. He grew up as a young person. He had the same temptations in his life. Yet throughout that entire time, he never sinned. He was perfect. He was perfect. And so here we have this high priest, Jesus Christ, our high priest. Now, a sinless high priest who would make a sacrifice for sin, absolutely, right? And the whole thing is, through the resurrection that he did and through the resurrection of his death and through that whole aspect of what he did through death, burial and resurrection, he passed through the veil. Not a, not a veil of linen, right? But the Bible says that he went to, passed into, verse number 14 says, and, that, and it says, a great high priest that is passed into the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. So not a, not a, not a symbolic veil actually passing through to heaven. Nah, not with the blood of an animal, but with his own perfect blood, sinless blood. And in doing so, not only did he pay the price for the sin debt, but guess what he did? He gave us access, <laughs> access to the throne, which is just 
awesome. Matthew 27, verse 50 through 51 says this. Jesus, when he, had, when he had cried again with a loud voice, yielded up the ghost, and behold, the veil of the temple was rent in twain from the top to the bottom, and the earth did quake, and the rocks rent. At his death, man, that veil that was in the temple, when there were, there were priests would have been in there, they'd been doing their job, and all of a sudden the ground was like, boom, and that veil, which was just, that was the holy of holies. No one could step through there except for that high priest. And all of a sudden, that veil that just meant complete separation from God, they stood there trembling in that building and looked up, and the veil went, dude, that is crazy. Can you imagine if you were those guys? You'd be like, oh! Because they don't know what's going on. They should, they're like, we should be dead. But we're not. But God. But God. Through the blood of Christ. Verse 16 says this, Let us therefore come boldly under the throne of grace, that we may have obtained mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Amen. Division, division between God and man, the separation that happened at the fall of mankind was done. It was destroyed in an instant. Aaron serving as a high priest pictures the Lord Jesus Christ. And how interesting that the high priest, right, would be served by his sons. Guess what? We're the sons of God. It's not coincidence that God uses the wording that he does, that he paints the pictures for us. We serve our high priest as the sons of God. John 1.12 but as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. Whew. Now we're on to verse 2. Praise God, we're getting there. <laughs> verse 2. Thou shalt make holy garments for Aaron, thy brother, for glory and for beauty. Now these garments themselves, they're called holy, but what it means is they're, they're to set them apart. They're not that the, the garment itself is not something special, but what it's designed to do is to make them stand out from everybody else. They were intended to reflect God's holiness and sanctification as they would be unique and unlike anything else that anyone would wear. And you'll see we have a, a, an image, an artist's rendition of kind of what it looks like. Um, but it's pretty, it's, it's very, very unique. No one will be wearing this walking around the streets. Verse 3, thou shalt speak unto all that are wise-hearted, whom I have filled with the spirit of wisdom, and that they may make Make, uh, that they may make Aaron's garments to consecrate him, that he may minister unto me in the priest's office. Notice you hear that phrase again, minister unto me. So what he's saying is there are craftsmen that are amongst the people right now that have already been gifted with talents and abilities, and they're going to be led by my spirit to know how to build these things, how to make these this, this articles of clothing. And in the church, guess what? The Lord has given us people here that have gifts and abilities. And we go, well, you know what? I mean, uh, I'm, I'm an organizer. I'm good at organizing. Guess what? Things get disorganized. You should go in my office right now. Holy guacamole. Everything that was in that room is all piled in there. But anyway, but we need people that have skills and abilities. Maybe you work well with children. Maybe you have musical ability. Maybe you have talent with, with, with technology. Who knows what it is? But God didn't put you here by accident. These people are not in the Israelite, not walking with the Israelites by accident. They don't have these abilities to do gold work and engraving and all this stuff just randomly because God said, look, I have them there. And notice the fact that he says here, I have filled with the spirit of wisdom. God says, look, these are gifts that I've given them. How amazing that you and I have gifts and abilities that we don't use for God. We use them for our own gain. Well, I've got a talent and ability. I'm going to take it out in the world. And I'm going to make me some money. But when it comes to the church and a need here, people are like, eh, you know, that's not really my thing. I got, you know. And we waste these abilities. But you've got to realize they're not for you. Amen. <laughs> they're not given to us for us to get fame or for us to become famous. Somebody can sing. 
Man, you should be singing for the glory of God, not for the applause of humanity. Because guess what? That will take you to hell. Because that kind of stuff, that, that draw into the world to get the accolades of man, man, that's an empty, hollow fulfillment. And it's based upon your fulfillment comes from an external source. But the cool thing is when you give it to God and you do it in the right heart, man, God fills you with this amazing sense that you're doing his perfect and beautiful will. As we can see, these talents and gifts were gifts or gifts are used are, are to be used for the Lord, right? And that is the whole reason why they're there. After all, remember John 1.17 says this, Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and cometh down from the Father of lights, with whom is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. So if you have something going on, you have a talent or ability, guess what? God gave it to you. Don't squander it for your own purposes. Use it for his glory. Who are we to, um, who are we to take gifts that God gives us for his service and use them to serve ourselves? Now, real quick, just to look back, that word minister unto me. We keep seeing that phrase popping up, minister unto me, minister unto me, minister unto me. We could say it this way, serve me, right? Serve me. So it's a matter of idea of, of service, right? And we remember the fact that when we serve in the church, it's not about serving the church. It's not about serving the community. Now, all those things are important. We are serving God by doing those things. But at the same time, we've got to be better. What can happen is we can get so focused on the duties and the responsibilities of serving our family or serving an individual, serving a need, that we lose sight of who it is we're actually doing it for. And we start doing it maybe for our own sense of satisfaction because it makes me feel good. Well, guess what? And we're now shifting out of serving God into serving self. Can you see that? Has everyone, has anybody, has anybody, I mean, that's happened to me plenty of times. Man, you're rocking and rolling. You're doing this, man, in the beginning. You're like, man, I feel led of God to do it. And after a while, you've done it for a while. You start going, hey, man, this is my thing. People know me as that guy. Does this thing. Hey, man, I get accolades for it. And all of a sudden, it shifts out of what it is I'm doing it for. And it starts to become this self-serving thing that becomes to poison me a little bit. And next thing you know, pride starts to well up in my life. So we have to be careful and conscious that the devil can use even good things to twist us away from God. So we're supposed to minister unto him. Verse 4, And these are the garments which they shall make, a breastplate and an ephod. An ephod is like the, the, uh, the overlay, almost like the, the robe that they would wear over everything. And it says, And a robe, an embroidered coat, a mitre, and a girdle, they shall make, uh, make holy garments for Aaron thy brother and his sons, that he may minister unto me, notice again, in the priest's office. So each one will be very specific in the way that it's designed. Very, very specific in the characteristics of how it looks. It'll have great detail, but we're going to look at those in later messages as we kind of start to break those things down. But I do have an image that I want to show you. So this would be the high priest here. These would be other priests, and these here would just be traditional Levites. So this is a very extensive outfit that he's got on. Gives you just a little bit of a glimpse based upon the descriptions, the connections, and all that kind of stuff to be a little bit different, but that at least gives you an idea. So this clothing is to make them easily identifiable. Do you think he would stand out in a crowd? Yes. Yes, you'd be like, whoa, check out that hat. Gracious. Maybe he has a cat in there or something like that. Who knows? But we look at that, we go, wow, he was going to stand out. So as, as we see here, is it's supposed to reflect, right, the purpose of the garment. And we, as he says, we break this thing down, we're going to start to understand a little bit more about what it is. Remember, it's all about ministering unto God. Minister unto me. That phrase appears eight times in the book of Exodus, three times in the book of Ezekiel. It shows up in the book of Jeremiah. The tabernacle, its design, its furnishing, its purpose, it's not about the people. Remember, this is all about God. It's supposed to reflect him. So when we look at that image, that, that, that outfit, that clothing, it's supposed to be a reflection of God. Now, 
Just look at the colors that are selected for this garment. Check this out. Verse number five. And they shall take gold and blue and purple and scarlet and fine linen. Do those sound familiar? Yeah, and we think back to the tabernacle, right? We think about the veil. We think about the entrance. These are the things that you're going to see on the inside of the representation of heaven. Exact same colors, exact same materials. Almost as if the priest is supposed to mimic heaven. It's supposed to be a picture of God's righteousness on earth. Verse 6, And they shall make the ephod. This is the, de the decorative, uh, like, so he has the under robe, and then there's going to be, the, almost that like would be like a sleeveless deal, and it would be worn over it. Um, this is the, the decorative part of it. And it says, And it shall of gold, and of blue, and of purple, and of scarlet, fine twine linen, and cunning work. It's supposed to be embroidered. So these craftsmen apply their gifts and their abilities, led by the Lord to make this elaborate garment for Aaron. And it shall have the two shoulder pieces thereof joined at the two edges thereof, and so shall it be joined together. So it's associated here, um, this, this, to give you an idea of what it's associated to, so you can kind of get an image of it. If you look at an epaulet, you know, like on someone's uniform, this is kind of what it's talking about. It's going to sit, something that's going to sit here on the shoulder, and it's going to have a specific purpose that we'll look at in just a moment. But that's kind of what you want to imagine where it's at. Then we say here in verse number eight, and the curious girdle, okay? The girdle is like something you're going to tie. It's almost like a sash that you're going to wear around your waist, right? It's kind of like a belt for you and I would wear today. It says on this, the curious girdle, um, curious, the word curious means unique, of the ephod, which is upon it, shall be of the same according to the work thereof, even of gold, of blue, and purple, and scarlet, and fine twine linen. Again, this decorative sash is made of the exact same colors mimicking the inside of the tabernacle. Now, what's unique about the girdle is the fact that it has a specific purpose and the fact that it holds everything kind of together, right? Who's ever had loose pants on before? <laughs> you see some people that sag their pants. If they don't have a belt, they're in big trouble, right? So the belt kind of holds everything together. And that's the same thing here with, this, with the purpose of this belt. But there's also something interesting about it as well. When we look about here, it actually it mimics something we're going to see in Ephesians chapter number 6. We talk about the armor of God. Ephesians 6, 14 says, says, Stand therefore, having your loins girt about with truth. Now, girdle, something that girts you, it goes here around your waist. And what it does? It holds things together. And we talk about a suit of armor. That armor's all held together by that one base. When they put all the parts on it, it's all kind of loose and it doesn't fit that well. But when he goes like this and sashes everything down, boom, he's ready for battle. But without the belt, he's in trouble. Well, guess what? The Bible calls it the belt of truth. What is truth? The Word of God. Our life is supposed to be built upon a foundation of truth. The thing that holds everything together is the truth. And when you have things are out of place, the breastplate's loose, parts are hanging off, sometimes you got to circle back. Because in life, guess what? You're going to get knocked around. You ever been in a crowd before and just like, whoa, hey. Yeah. Whoa, you know, like this. Next thing your clothes are like, you know, you're here. You're like, man, what in the world? <laughs> Back in my lost days, I went to a concert. I'm not going to tell you where it was, but I was in a concert of people. I was in a concert of people, and I'm not joking you. I, was, I had a T-shirt on, and the shirt sleeves were this long, right? Well, when the concert started, the shirt was this long. When I got done, the shirt sleeves were up my wrists. My shirt neck was like this big. I was like standing like this, and it was like, and people were jumping around me. I was, my shirt was torn to shreds. That was not my message, but anyway, that's just a little glimpse of my past. But what I'm saying is we can get knocked out of place. And what happens, sometimes we've got to readjust ourselves. We've got to get things reset. And guess what? To get reset in your life, what do you do? Go here. You want to reset? This is where you go. You'll get back on track when you get back in the Word. Verse 9. 
<clears throat> and thou shalt take two onyx stones and grave on them, engrave, it means engrave, the names of the children of Israel. So these two stones are going to bear the 12 tribes, the names of the 12 tribes of Israel. Verse 10, six of their names on one stone and the other six names of the rest on the other stone, according to their birth. So listed in order of their birth, they're going to be listed on the stone on one side, stone on the other side. Then here in verse number 11. With the work of an engraver in stone, like the engravings of a signet, shalt thou engrave the two stones with the names of the children of, uh, children of Israel. Thou shalt make them to set in ouches of gold. An ouch is a setting, right? Almost like a, an open, open basket of gold. And what you do is you place it in, and they would pound it in around it and seal it around, right? And what's interesting about this, when we think about these stones, right? Stone is a picture of humanity. You and I are made from the earth, right? That's where we come from. And what we find here is this stone has an earthly origin, representing the humanity, right? Remember what Peter said in 1 Peter 2.5, Ye also are lively, notice that word, stones. Lively stones. When you're lost, guess what? You're a dead stone. We're dead. Because the spirit in us is dead. The Bible says that it is quickened through the spirit of of God. Quicken means bring to life. So here we are, dead and lost in our sin, and then suddenly what happens is God comes in, and when He does, the Spirit strikes, and all of a sudden we become a lively stone built up a spiritual house and holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God. So all of a sudden we went from being this dead rock that has no purpose, and He goes, boom, now you're a lively stone, you're a part of a house, you're a priesthood, and guess what? You're supposed to bring honor to my name. That's what's the purpose of your life. And remember what gold is symbolic of. It represents holiness. It represents deity. So we have this stone that's going to be set into a base, right, of gold. Remember inside the tabernacle, the wood was representative of humanity. And what happened is it was completely encased in gold. But here it's not completely encased in gold. The stone's exposed, revealing the humanity. But what it's supposed to have is a foundation, a foundation of God. It's sitting in a base plate of God. It's surrounded by God. It's not consumed, but it's surrounded. And it's the whole thing is you and I are supposed to be grounded in godly living, in trusting the Lord. Our foundation of our life should be a walk with God. Verse 12, and thou shalt put the two stones upon the shoulders of the ephod for stones for a memorial unto the children of Israel. And Aaron shall bear their names before the Lord upon his shoulders for a memorial. Notice that phrase, bear their names. Okay? So what we see here is that the high priest was to bear the children of Israel and their humanity before the Lord. Now, he would do this by living an example to the people. He would do this through sharing wisdom and teaching them God's word, but also through bearing the sins of the people before God, right? He bore the burdens of the people upon his shoulders. When you think about shoulders, shoulders are where burdens are born. It's where labors are done. That's what they're for, right? Can we see the amazing picture that God's giving us of our high priest? Oh, I don't know if that excites you. That when I when I read this stuff, I'm like, <laughs> dude, I get jacked up. I get fired up because I'm like, holy moly. Even back here in this guy's clothing, He's sending pictures of Jesus, pictures of Jesus, pictures of Jesus. It's amazing, dude. The fact that our, sorry, I called y'all dude. I apologize. That's not very nice. The fact that our high priest, the Lord Jesus Christ, 
seeing humanity's burden with the weight of sin and the penalty that we would face, bore our burdens upon himself before the Lord and made the ultimate sacrifice for sin, man. His very own life. Verse 13. And thou shalt make ouches of gold. These are the settings, right? That's the stones that we talked about. And the two chains of pure gold at the ends of, re of wreathen. And when it talks about wreathen, it's talking about braided work. Work, and it says, wreathen work shalt thou make them and fasten the wreathen chains to the ouches. So each part of what would be the outer layer is going to be connected by these pure gold chains. But we're going to look at that next week. So we've witnessed God sanctifying Aaron and his sons to be priests unto him. We saw how Aaron was tasked with the duty of being the high priest and then bearing the, 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 the sins of the people upon his shoulders to go before God. Then we moved from the men and their significance to what they would wear, right? Our focus today was on Aaron, but we'll see that through the priests also, the other garments that we're going to find out, they're all designed to sanctify them. It's supposed to clearly set them apart from the rest of the world. They're supposed to be easily identified. Based upon their appearance, they will stand out, be set apart. Be sanctified. Now, as born-again believers, guess what? You and I, we're supposed to be priests, right? We're supposed to be priests. What we see here is that you and I, as the sons of God, are called to be priests unto him, that the Lord, our, our Lord Jesus Christ, was tasked with the duty of being our high priest and bearing the sins of the world upon his shoulders before God. And we saw how the garments from the priests will wear. It will be designed by God, remember? God designed this stuff to make them stand out from the masses. They're not supposed to look like everybody else. They're not supposed to act like everybody else. You should be able to look at them in the crowd and go, boom, priest. Is that true of us? Do you walk amongst the masses and do people go, Christian? I can tell you from my own personal experience, and I'm not super Christian by any stretch, but I got a long way to go. But on a very regular basis, I'll go into stores, I'll meet people and they'll go, are you a Christian? I mean, just out of the blue. You're just like, I mean, we're talking about football now. Are you a Christian? And you're like, I am. Yeah, 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 I am. And what happens is you stand out. The Bible says we're supposed to be a peculiar people. First, first Peter 2, 9, right? But you're a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, and holy nation, a peculiar people. Peculiar people that they should show forth the praises of him. Christ, man. We should show forth the praises of him. He did all that he did for us. My wife and I were laying in bed this morning. We woke up at like 3 o'clock in the morning. We're just glorifying God for what he's done in our lives. Amen. 2019, guess what? It's a hard year. For a lot of us, 2019, we had some hard stuff to go through. But what you find is it's a refining fire. The fire refines the gold. God wants us to come forth as gold. So he puts you through hard things to force those things to be burned away. Because the impurities are what keep us from being that priest. It's the things of the world that cover that outfit. When we look at the clothing, it's not righteous. It's filled with the world. It's discolored and, and covered with dirt and mud because we allow so much of the world to impact us. These men are to be sanctified and set apart from the world. You and I are supposed to do the same thing. And it's not up to the world. It's up to us. It's not up to God. It's up to us. Where am I going? Am I walking through mud in the world? Am I going through the brambles and the bushes of life? Am I fighting with the world, getting beaten and bloodied and disheveled? And when I get disheveled, do I not circle back and adjust myself and get refocused on what it is I'm supposed to do? Am I just existing? 
Because what you find is you, you could have that exact same outfit, but it becomes so dirtied and so muddied and so disheveled that it no longer looks like a priest. You might be a priest, but people can't even tell because it's so covered with the world that that's all they can see. Guys, I've been there. I've been there. And it's no place to be because you know what you feel? You feel disheveled. You feel dirty. You feel like you're not a good representation of God. You feel ashamed. And God says, you know what? I'm not going to throw you away. I'm not going to give up on you. I'm going to call you back. There's a service at the tabernacle. I need some work done. I have a purpose for your life. Let's get you cleaned up. Let's polish up that gold. Let's straighten out that outfit. Let's get you back into the Word of God so that God can straighten you back out. And when he gets done doing the work, guess what? You look just as good as you did before, even better. Because what's amazing about the fires, man, it burns away the bad, but it leaves the good. Life is full of hard times, but they have a purpose. Instead of cursing the days that are hard, realize that God's trying to refine you in those hard times to make you who you can be. Because there's so many things that we have in our lives that we don't want to let go. We think we need them. And it's not till you let them go that you realize what real freedom is. It's amazing. We can hold on to sin believing that this is my freedom because I'm making my own choices. I'm going to do it my way. Yet we live with all the regret and the pain that comes along with it. And we think, I can't let it go. I can't let it go. I can't let it go. But buddy, I'm telling you, when it finally gets too heavy to carry and you go, look, I'm done. I'm done. And God says, the simple little verse, cast your care upon me for I careth for you. And we put the word care, buddy. You can put a whole lot of things in there. Everything, your bills, your pains, your losses, your failures, your disappointments, they can all fit in that cares. And he says, cast your cares upon me for I careth for you. What he's saying is I'll carry it for you. If you want to carry it, you can feel it. Take the weight of it. These people that are not going to allow God to carry their sin, those that deny Christ and will not receive Him as their Savior, guess what they do? They bear the burdens of their sin before God. And when they do, not being a high priest, what does it say? They shall all die. That's the reality. You go by the way of the priest, or you go by way of the grave and hell itself. God has a desire for us to walk with Him. He wants us to be these priests, man. But we know just because we're priests doesn't mean we're doing things right. Because remember, Nadab and Abihu? Disobedient. I'm going to do it my way. God destroyed them. So you see, if we're really a priest, it will be evident in our service to God. If you're holding on to your salvation, if your salvation is based upon a day and a prayer, and you're going, well, I know I did this. And it was on this day at this time, and da da da. And you're like, that's great. But I'm telling you, if your life's not changed, there's no way in the world you're a child of God. Because as a priest, guess what? There's a service that you're called to. And if you want to to figure out if you're a child of God, look at your service. He says, You were created to minister unto me. But if you're ministering unto self, and this is your priority, and this is where your focus is every single day when you wake up, minister to me, minister to me, minister to me, minister to me. And God's not even a distant thought. How in the world can you be created for that purpose and not do it? You can't. Now, can you live in sin? Absolutely. Can you pull away from God? Absolutely. But he says he chastens them who he loves. 
And if God's drawing you, man, come back. If you find yourself out in the woods and your priestly outfit's a mess, man, come back. Circle back to the word. Circle back to him. Make things right with God because he wants you to be restored. But man, if you've never come, you know, if you're here and you go, you know, I always thought I was a priest, but I, I don't know that it was. Because if I look at my service to God, I'd say that it was really, not only do I not have it, but I don't even necessarily have a desire to do it. I do what I do, I think, so that it fulfills me. I come to church so I can check the box and say, well, I'm doing the right things. And you can make a list of all the stuff you're doing, but think about why you're doing it. Is it minister unto me or minister unto God? If you're doing it for you, you're doing it for the wrong reasons. And it becomes something here where your salvation is something that you've created of your works and your own mind. But God says you'll submit yourself unto him. Give your will to God. Realize that he's the solution and this life's not about you. And when you finally do that, oh, man, praise God. August 11th, 2001, I sat on that couch, lost, burdened, broken, we slid down onto our knees. A lost man from here. And I called to God to stand up. Born again, child of God, a priest of the Lord, a peculiar person set aside for the work of the Lord. If you have that moment in your life, praise God for it. Let's get on track for what he's trying to do. If we're serving him with our whole heart sanctified unto God, the world can't help but see our priestly garments. You know why? Because you're clothed in righteousness. Your life shows the world that you're not like them. That there's something unique and special that's inside of you. And guess what? They all want it. They're broken like we were. And maybe you're broken today. I don't know. But bottom line is you have a choice. You can do it your way. Live with the consequences. Do it God's way. And watch him take that life that you feel is a lost, broken mess and turn around and use it for his glory. And to go from ministering unto self to ministering unto him, you finally get the fulfillment that you've been searching for your whole life. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we love you. We thank you for today. Thank you for saving my soul. God, for making me a priest. I've not always done a good job. God, thank you, Lord, that you give me a way to circle back uh, like, a, like a compass pointing north. We can always circle back to you, God. Thank you that you're always willing to receive us, to forgive us, and to use us for your glory. With our heads bowed and with our eyes closed, if you're here today and you say, you know what, Pastor, as a priest, I'm not doing the job that I should. As a priest right now, my garments don't set me apart but I want to make things right. I want to do better. I want to strive to be one that stands out, that's sanctified from this world for the glory of God, not for my own glory. If that's where you are, make today the day where you say, you know what, I'm starting new. This one that we talked about last week, reaching forth. We can't talk about the fact, we cannot change our past, but we can change our future. We can do that today. And if you're here today and you say, you know what, I don't know that I'm a priest. I might have been pretending. I'd have been going through the motions, but I don't know. A priest is someone who knows for certain that they have given their heart to God. They have no doubt of the fact that, you know what, there was a day 
that I gave my heart to Christ and I received him as my Savior. And there's been a change in my life. If you're here, if you're online, wherever you are, watching this recorded, this does not require a special magical prayer. It doesn't require anything special. It doesn't require a preacher. It's between you and him. Because I promise you, he loves you exactly where you are. More than you can possibly imagine. And he wants a relationship with you. He wants a dwelling with you. He wants you to be his child. We're all his creation, but you're not his child until you receive him as your savior by faith. With our heads bowed and with our eyes closed, if you want to receive that gift today, if you want to receive Jesus Christ as your savior, I'm going to give you an opportunity to do so. He is absolutely listening and intently paying close attention to your heart. He hears the heartbeat that you're going, that you're feeling right now, the desire to come to him. And he is with open arms crying, come unto me, all ye that labor and that are heavy laden. Let go of the burdens of this world and give them to him. With our heads bowed and eyes closed, I'm going to let you pray. I'm going to pray. I'm going to lead you in prayer. But it will not be the words of the prayer that will do anything for you. It's simply the heart that God's listening to. If you want to receive him as your savior, and you mean it with your whole heart, and you truly, truly desire for him to save you, he will do that very thing. With their heads bowed and eyes closed, repeat after me in your heart and mind. You're not speaking to me. You're not speaking to anybody but God himself. Dear Lord, I know that I'm a sinner, and I'm sorry for all the things I've done wrong, for the people I've hurt, and the failures of my life. I understand that you are God that you have the power to save, that you died on the cross, were buried, and rose on the third day, proving you are God. Lord, you offer salvation to the world, and I personally today receive it. God, save my soul. Give me a home in heaven. And Lord, I will give you thanks for the rest of my life. For it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.